In nature, a wildfire is one of the most devastating natural forces. It burns hot and fast and leaves little behind but ash and char. Or so it seems. Very soon after the fire passes through the forest, life returns. Shrubs and weeds that clog the forest floor have burned away, leaving space for new trees, grasses, and flowers to emerge and flourish. Habitats are created, bringing new insects, birds, reptiles, and mammals. A cancer diagnosis can feel like a wildfire, our bodies becoming this new, fire-clarified landscape. For some, cancer changes utterly everything. For others, cancer brings greater clarity and purpose. And some of us are still searching for what life after a cancer diagnosis will look like. Welcome to The Burn. We are exploring stories of life and transformation following a breast cancer diagnosis. I'm April Stearns, the founder and editor of Wildfire Magazine and the host of this podcast. Today, we're going to hear a piece about what happens when your relationship with your body gets extra complicated by a breast cancer diagnosis and the complicated pressures that we experience to try to control our bodies. My guest today is Kelly Chouinard. Kelly is a student, teacher, and researcher. She was diagnosed at 34 with stage one triple negative breast cancer. After completing cancer treatment in 2020, Kelly quit her job as a freelance medical editor and photographer and decided to pursue a PhD in English. Now she teaches social media to undergraduate students and researches the ways that young adults use social media and photography to communicate their experiences of living with cancer. When she's not drowning in books or talking nonstop about technology and autobiography theory, she enjoys biking, finding stray cats to cuddle, taking photos, practicing yoga, and babying her growing collection of houseplants. And she really, really loves llamas. She joins me today from Waterloo, Ontario, Canada. Hey, Kelly, welcome to The Burn. Thanks for having me, April. I'm really glad to be here. I just love every single thing I just shared about your bio. So I'm excited that we get to dig into your story and also chat. Today, you're reading a piece you wrote called Pressure Pause. This was an uh, essay, rather, that we published in our 2023 body issue. So Kelly, after you read, we will chat. Those of you listening, stay tuned to the very end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. All right, I'll let you take it away, Kelly. Thank you. So this is called Pressure Pause. In the morning, in my living room, I stand with my feet planted on a magenta yoga mat, facing the front window and the tree outside, its branches outstretched and feathered with new spring leaves. Inhale. I look out at the tree, gently swaying in the breeze. Exhale. On the sidewalk in front of my apartment building, kids laugh and jostle each other as they walk toward the school two blocks away. Morning is my favorite time of day, and it's the hardest. In the quiet before my neighbors wake up, I creep out of the bedroom to the kitchen to start the coffee, and then to the living room, where I curl into my couch in the dark. On my phone, I scroll through friends' posts on Facebook and Instagram, wondering how different things would be now if I'd never had cancer, if I'd somehow managed to get my life together in my 20s, if I'd had a better relationship with my body from the start. I force myself to move, to stretch my tight, stiff, crackling body through a few yoga shapes, grounding myself with one hand pressed into my sternum, the other resting just below my ribcage, pausing in my breath. Last year, at my final appointment with my oncologist, two years out of active treatment, 
I mentioned some lingering pain in my joints and spine, numbness in my fingers, unrelenting brain fog. The nurse always asks, and I'm candid. My body is miserable, and I don't know how to fix it. If I could just fix it, you know? My oncologist suggested I lose weight. I asked for other suggestions. My weight wasn't a new development in my life, but the pain from chemo was. You just need to lose weight, she repeated. Just eat less, fewer calories, less junk food. She talked about balancing calorie intake and output, counting and accounting for what I ate. I sighed, rolled my head back on the exam table as she felt along my healed mastectomy scars and turned my eyes away so she wouldn't see the tears. Just eat less. Output. I love to bike. Love the way the wind feels running through my hair and across my skin. Love the way my spine curves itself as I fold into the drop handlebars on my road bike and push hard uphill into a headwind along twisting back roads. The last time my life fell apart, I was 28 and pulling myself through a debilitating depression that hadn't let up for a year. Biking had always been an emotional release for me, and I thought maybe it would help then too. So I bought a vintage road bike that needed some work and started riding every day. Over the next two years, I invested in rebuilding and customizing that bike piece by piece and equally in punishing my body through severe calorie restriction and overwork. Intake, coffee, half a cup of yogurt, three strawberries, chicken breast, steamed vegetables, output, bike 35 miles around county roads, pacing 15 miles per hour, intake, everything in the refrigerator, large tub of yogurt, quart of strawberries, whole box of cookies, intake, coffee, water, laxative. I never stopped loving the vibration of road under my handlebars and pedals. Biking was the only place I felt like my body made any sense. My leg muscles strained and tore and I still pushed myself until I couldn't. You can only go so far without fuel. When I stopped pushing, when I let myself eat food as if my body needed that fuel to keep going, all of the weight I'd lost crept back on, a hundred pounds. My breast deflated skin balloons at my thinnest fattened out against my chest and belly, body parts that signaled my failure. I hated my body, the odd shape of it, the rolls of fat, enormous thighs, breasts that got in the way of everything except catching food crumbs and spilled coffee. I wanted to deflate them again, make them detachable so I could fold down into my handlebar drops without kneeing them flat into my chest. My breasts were constant bearers of yellow and purple bruises from the abuse of being kneed on my daily bike commute. Intake. Coffee, steroids, Taxol, steroids, half an egg, compazine, output. Intake, Tylenol, Nelasta, water, compazine, two soda crackers, compazine, output, vomit. After I was diagnosed with cancer, I wondered how I'd caused this. Not whether I had, but how. I'd hated my body so much for so long and in so many different and violent ways that I was sure this was my fault. This was something I'd done to myself. Instead of therapy, I asked my surgeon to amputate my breasts. It would be easier to cut the pain off at the chest than the brain. In the hospital, waking up from anesthetic, my hand reached instinctively for the spot on my sternum where my breasts used to meet, the center line, centering. One hand on my sternum had always been my grounding ritual. Inhale, tap three times, exhale. I'd wanted to believe that a mastectomy would be simple and would make me feel instantly better about my survival odds that opting for flat closure would make me feel instantly better about my body. Hadn't I just spent years wishing, 
praying even for my breast to disappear, flatten into my chest wall. After surgery, when I was broken and bleeding and unable to stand upright, when I was medicating phantom pain as though my breasts were still there and being squeezed in a vice, I dreamed that I was walking naked and barefoot through the gritty, sun-warmed sand at Wreck Beach in Vancouver, watching the sun bounce off the cool blue of the Strait of Georgia, as close to the Pacific as I've ever been. In my dream, I was 29, thin and tanned and laughing, grabbing handfuls of my copper-tinged, sun-bleached hair. In the dream, I still had breasts and they were glorious. Everything was surreal, sunlight shone from my nipple, except when I touched them, they withered and died and my hands landed on a numb, flat, traumatized chest. Under my fingers, the starry strips and stitches loosened. The incisions gaped open wider and wider until an owl peeked out of the darkness. Then another owl appeared. More owls emerged from my ribcage and pushed their way out of my chest. I could feel the beating of their wings like an out-of-control heart about to burst open, like body-racking sobs, like grief. Intake, 50 milligrams of tramadol. Output, 100 milliliters of fluid from the left drain, 85 from the right. Intake, Tylenol. Output, 30 milliliters of fluid from the left drain, 40 from the right. After surgery, the pages in my diary where I used to compulsively record calorie intake and output were twisted to record how many painkillers I'd ingested, how much fluid drained from the tubes dangling from my deflated chest, how far up my living room wall I could walk my fingers. When the drains were removed and the pain lessened, I recorded how often I stretched and folded myself into yoga shapes, warrior shapes, powerful moves to comfort the part of me whose grief was full enough to rip stitches and produce a flock of owls from trauma. The grief still rips through me sometimes, knocks me forward into the floor, my flattened chest spilling over my thighs, sobbing into child's pose. I still love the feel of a bike under my body, the vibration of the road traveling up through my whole skeleton, the focus and heavy breathing. I'm most alive in that space, speeding along the rail trails in my city. On Sunday mornings now, I bike to my neighborhood yoga studio where I fold and stretch myself through different poses in a room full of differently shaped bodies, my feet planted on a magenta mat. We squat into chair shapes and my legs quake below me, the muscles threatening to release. Vibration, the teacher says, is normal. Vibration is trauma leaving the body. Vibration is shame leaving the body. Tears spill down my cheeks. I rest one hand on my sternum, thumb and index finger just below my collarbone, and feel the weight of my own body resting on itself, grounding through pressure. Inhale, tap, 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 exhale. I feel my body start to take shape. After class, I bike home slowly, letting my belly spill forward onto my thighs as I slide my palms into the handlebar drops, feeling sunshine and a cool breeze move across my sweaty skin. My body vibrates the whole way, and I'm happy there. I'm grounded. Thank you. Mm. I love that so much, Kelly. Thank you. All right, we will take a quick break here for a testimonial. And when we come back, Kelly and I will dig into her story. Hi, friends. There is now a wildfire book in the world. It is a big, beautiful compilation of my favorite essays from Wildfire Magazine, spanning all the way back to our first ever issue in 2016, up to the summer of 2022. 
This book took years to create and is literally the resource I wish I had had when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. This book is called Igniting the Fire Within, and it's made up of 50 essays that really dig into the experience of having breast cancer in our 20s, 30s, and 40s. Every stage of breast cancer is represented from DCIS to stage four, from all sorts of walks of life from all around the world. Our writers go deep and get vulnerable to heal their own experiences and to let others like you know that you're not alone. You will find yourself within these pages. Get Igniting the Fire Within, stories of healing, hope, and humor inside today's young breast cancer community on Amazon in paperback and for Kindle now. Curl up with it today. My name's Ashley Lehman. I'm from Portland, Maine. I was first diagnosed when I was 29. I was 13 weeks pregnant, uh, diagnosed with breast cancer. And then I had a local recurrence at age 34. And I found wildfire to be uh, such just an important um, resource and being able to read and, and hear others' stories and feel a sense of connection there. And that these women just kind of get it. Uh, and to also be able to share and um, and write about my own journey. And that's been incredibly important in my own healing process. Thank you so much for the love, Ashley. Thank you for that beautiful testimonial. All right. Welcome back, Kelly. Thank you again for not only sharing your story with me, but sharing it with all of us today and reading it. It's beautiful to hear it in your own, in your own voice, your own inflection. So thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So I've got so many questions, um, ranging from your story to the work that you do and everywhere in between. But let's start with your story. One of the questions I really love to ask my writers, and I don't necessarily do it every time, but I want to do it with you today, is to tell me when you sat down to write this piece, what was it that you really wanted to say? What was important to come across? I think what was important to me that I wanted to talk about was that I mean, and I think this is true for a lot of us um, who have some lingering body issues. Those were there before cancer too. So this is not something new. We're dealing with this like resurfacing of a lot of body image issues that many of us have had for a number of years. The other thing that I really wanted to make clear was that this is trauma. We've been through trauma and it doesn't just go away. It stays with us for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yes, someone just told me the other day that there's more um, more thought around this phrase chemo brain that is now being applied to actual trauma of the diagnosis itself. Have you heard that as well? I have actually heard that. And I've been doing a lot of research into it because I find myself, uh, even when I'm trying to teach a class, trying to explain to my students what chemo brain is and what that feels like and where it comes from. Um, and for a lot of them, like these are young undergraduate students, this is something new for them. And so they see me struggling to find words and struggling to find information from the back reaches of my brain. Uh, and it's just like, this is, it's all, it's chemo. It's the trauma of the diagnosis. It's all of it rolled into one. So I'm finding that really interesting to learn more about that now too. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and I really like that it, I mean, we need to come up with a different name for it, but I like that it now encompasses the experiences of people who maybe didn't have chemo, but are still experiencing everything that you wrote about here, this, this trauma and the dissociation from the body and, you know, trying to put all those pieces back together again. And I think that that will help there, you know, there's sometimes this divide in the cancer community where some people feel that their story is less than because maybe their diagnosis wasn't as severe or late stage as someone else. But if we can start to talk more about the trauma, like you said, of the entire experience, then it almost doesn't matter what the individual treatments were with regard to that. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you. I think there is a lot of shame and it's not so much from the community. We seem to feel it internally that like my diagnosis wasn't as traumatic as somebody else's, maybe because it was stage one. Um, yeah, it could have been, it could have been worse, but it was still hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it took a long time for me to work through how I feel about that and be able to talk about it. Uh, I recognize that there is, there is still trauma there for me. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And then what you just said too, about all the existing stuff that you were already carrying and then the diagnosis comes that the slate doesn't get wiped clean. It's all still there in a new fun package that you get to move forward with, right? It is. And so it's it's a lot to work through. I mean, in some ways I feel almost freer to work through it and say, you know what? I'm I'm fat. And I'm okay with that. Uh, it's part of the trauma package that I'm dealing with, but I feel freer saying it now than I think I did before cancer. Like cancer did a lot of, it wiped, not really wiped the slate clean. It didn't do that. Um, it kind of changed how I feel about putting myself out there. And like, I don't want to fade into the background, which I think mm. was how I always was. Hmm. Yeah, that resonates for me too. I like that you just said that. So, you know, I do want to talk about this, this, there's a shame piece, of course, but also having your pain dismissed as something that is like your problem you need to fix and not heard um, is something that I've heard from many people, unfortunately. And I just wonder, you know, was it well, let me pause there. Tell me how you're feeling about all of this now. Like, I, I feel like your writing about it is pushing this back. Like, this isn't my problem. You know, this is this is something that's bigger than that. It, it's not even a problem per se. But tell me kind of where you're sitting with all of this now. I think I'm, I'm at a different place now than I was even when I wrote this. Uh, the more I've read it and I've read it, everything else in this, uh, in this issue... Mm-hmm. And done a lot more research. I think I've gone from just like, yeah, okay, this isn't my problem. It's a bigger societal issue, you know, with the wave of the hand. Mm-hmm. But now I'm I'm more at this position of like, I'm also angry about it. I'm angry that this is all made to be an individual problem when it's not. A lot of us have the same kind of trauma reaction and the same feelings of guilt and shame and and not understanding where that comes from, or like the same body issues, for lack of a better word. Um, 
Yeah, I have a lot more anger now. Like I'm more vocal and I feel like I want to be more vocal about it. That it's just not just, it's not just me feeling this way. There are many of us. Mm -hmm. Well, you're making me think about how much, especially in, in the medical world, I, I can't speak for men, but I know for women, we're often told that our body is the problem. And it makes me think about, you know, before I had cancer, years before I worked in the birth world, I was a doula. And so many birth stories also start with someone saying, your uterus is wrong, or your hips are wrong, or you're not progressing. Like there's so much around the problem is your body. And now we have to fix that in order for this other thing to happen, as opposed to you have a body and, you know, you're, you're having cancer or you're having birth or you're having whatever. And all of it is normal. All the experiences, all the bodies are normal. I don't know what my question is. I guess I just want to say that that's frustrating, you know, that, that we get taught that this is our, our problem and it's wrong. It is. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember when I was diagnosed and my family doctor at the time, who I don't see anymore because I've moved, um, really highly recommended that I see a surgeon in a different city because I would have the option for reconstruction. And to her, that was important for me. I was 34, um, single, like I'm not married. And she thought it would be a problem if I didn't have reconstruction. And I kind of took that like, okay, whatever, it is what it is, because I was so used to hearing that, like, whatever the problem is, the problem is my body. Uh, and so I, I followed her recommendation and I went to see a surgeon in a different city than where this doctor was located. But I lucked out and I have an amazing surgeon who, when I said I, I wanted to have bilateral mastectomy and no reconstruction, she was like, cool, we can do that. That's great. There was no shame feeling at all. Um, and that was one of the first medical experiences I'd ever had where I felt seen and heard and not shamed in any way. Hmm. I'm so glad that you had that experience. I also had a similar experience when I decided to have aesthetic flat closure. I had a surgeon who just said, okay, like, let's do it. No questions asked. You know, we just moved on, but I know that isn't the experience of everyone. And, um, and I, I don't love that you had that first experience, but I like that you had the flip of that experience on the other side. Yeah, me too. Kind of tempered the, the first experience for mm -hmm. me. So I want to talk a little bit about your work. I think it's really interesting. I'm going to look back at your bio. Um, but the way that you, you phrased it here, you said that you research the ways that young adults use social media and photography to communicate their experiences of living with cancer. And I'm just so curious to know a little bit more. I'm sure we could talk for hours about this aspect, but you know, what pulled you into this world and what, what is something that's kind of sparking for you right now? Well, I mean, I've always been really, really interested in social media and I've worked in it for a long time and I got really interested in selfies before I was diagnosed and I was interested in how we document the aging process using selfies and then cancer happened. Um, and I got really interested in seeing what everybody in the cancer community was doing with their selfies on Instagram and how that was so different from the other selfies that I was seeing that weren't related to cancer. And I mean, this happened to also be during COVID. So I had a lot of time 
wasn't really doing much other than dealing with cancer. And so I just started writing down my notes as I would see things. And so now this is what I study. And the interesting thing for me is that they're not the same. I mean, I knew that, but it's so interesting to see the celebratory selfies, the angry selfies, the honest, raw selfies showing all kinds of emotion. And I don't think that we see that outside of the cancer community when we're talking about Instagram and selfies and the kinds of information that we that we try to communicate using selfies. It's very different in the cancer community and there's a lot more emotion, um, generally speaking. I'm being very general. I'm very early in my research. I think that's so interesting. So are you a person who also shares selfies and, and you know, shares on social media or are you more observing? I do both. Uh, I, I shared a lot of selfies when I was going through treatment. And then there was a period where I wasn't so active in sharing. And I've started to share again uh, in different ways. Like I'm trying to push at my own comfort level in the types of images that I share now. Um, but I still just like to observe sometimes. I like to see what everybody else is doing and kind of support my community that mm-hmm. way. Yeah, absolutely. I hear that. Uh, Well, I wish you luck as you continue on this research. I think it's really, really interesting. And I'm curious about that aspect that you said where, you know, this is something that's different with regard to the cancer community than maybe the greater community. Is it also different or have you had a chance yet to look at other illnesses? I haven't. I've like started to dip Mm -hmm. into that, Um, but that's on my reading list for the next year or so to research more about that. Yeah, that would be really interesting to know. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for your story again, for this discussion and the work that you're doing. If people want to follow you on social media or elsewhere, uh, if they can, if you're open to that, where can they find you? Absolutely. I am on most social media. Uh, I'm basically everywhere as the lip reader. The lip reader. Perfect. We will um, link to you in our show notes. Perfect. Well, thank you again. Yeah, thanks for this. And I really appreciate you and your story. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that you put this magazine out for us. It's a beautiful thing that you're doing. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, with that, I'm April Stearns, and you've been listening to The Burn. The Burn is a production of Wildfire Magazine, where we share breast cancer stories from young people like you've never read or heard before. We also strive to inspire you to write your story like you've never written it before. Stay to the end for a writing prompt inspired by today's episode. Our producer is Bill Smith of Shoe Production, and our production assistant is Monica Haro. Want more on the life-changing transformation to be had from telling your breast cancer stories? Visit wildfirecommunity.org to find a copy of the issue shared in today's episode, to find our rich 40-plus issues in the Wildfire archives, and to take a writing workshop with me. There is no place on the planet like a wildfire writing workshop, and I want you to experience it for yourself. Discover how to write your way back to yourself, write your way to reclaiming your body and your story. And don't forget to subscribe to The Burn and listen to it wherever you go. If you like it, please take a second to leave us a five-star review. I would be forever grateful. All right, here is your writing prompt. I want you to set your timer for 10 minutes and write a letter to one of your doctors. Pick someone on your care team that you have something to get off your chest. It could be a letter of explaining something that you feel was misunderstood. It could be a letter of gratitude. 
We talked about a couple of different doctor experiences today with Kelly. So I want you to think about if you were to write a letter to your doctor, what would you write? And the caveat here is you don't have to send this letter. There is a beauty in writing the unsent letter. Just let it get off your chest. So set your timer for eight minutes, write without stopping, see what needs to come out and where it will take you. And if you find that you write best with a good writing prompt, head to wildfirecommunity.org slash free to get all sorts of freebie writing prompts from me. With that, take good care and I'll talk to you next time.